0: Micah chapter 7, so we began, we began this chapter last week, let's do a short recap and then we'll pick up where we left off, let's read verses 1 through 6 of Micah chapter 7, woe is me for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits as the great gleanings of the vintage, there is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruit. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net, that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh, and the judge asketh for a reward. And the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire, so they wrap it up. The best of them is as a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchmen and thy visitation cometh, now shall be their perplexity. Trust ye not in a friend, put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonoreth the father, and the daughter riseth up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. So remember that chapter 6 was this courtroom scene where God shares His controversy that He has with Israel. And He further laid out His indictment there by showing them how they were not doing justly. They were not loving mercy. They were not walking humbly with their God. And then as we come to chapter 7, we get Micah's reaction to the situation. And he begins with, woe is me. Micah here is in a deep state of sorrow. He's bewailing, he's lamenting, he's mourning and grieving that there's a lack of righteousness in the land. He uses the picture of harvesting. And he talks about there were no clusters, there were no groupings of righteousness left. He he said, I desired the first fruits. Those are the best, those are the choicest. And there was none. There was, there was no, no righteousness to be found. There was no abundance of good and honorable people in Israel. Jeremiah 2.21 says, Yet I had planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? And then in verse 2, Micah states, just recapping here, The good man has perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. And Isaiah stated that the righteous and merciful perish and are taken out of the way because God is going to spare them from the evil to come. That's a thought, isn't it? That God would actually have the righteous pass off the scene because He's about to bring severe judgment. And Isaiah finished that verse by saying, but none considereth it. Nobody understands that that's what's taking place. Micah goes on to say at the end of verse 2, they all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net. So they were always on the lookout for their next target of opportunity. Those that they could take advantage of to rob and to steal, to plunder, to to take advantage of. They wanted to ensnare them in the net. And and it says that they lied in wait for blood. And we kind of think that imagery belongs to countries in the Middle East. Maybe portions of Africa where you know we we see all these scenes of, of... of bloodshed and these terrorist groups that are running around, these countries where the average lifespan is like still 35, you know what I'm saying? And, and we, we look at that and we think, well, that's where all that belongs. Well, here's an interesting statistic. I came across varying numbers, and, and I don't know why that is. You'd think it would be a, a clear number, but the number of, of U.S. service personnel killed in Afghanistan over the last 20 years has been around 2,400. Meanwhile, during that same 20-year period, there have been around 11,650 murders in Chicago alone. I mean, in in a 20-year war in Afghanistan, 2,400 lives lost. And then in Chicago alone, over 11,000 murders. They lie in wait for blood. We're seeing it in America is what I'm saying. it's, It's here. It's at our shores. And it's nothing new, unfortunately. In verse 3, Micah said that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh, and the judge asketh for a reward. And the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire. So they wrap it up. And so this is telling us they had no shame in committing their wickedness. They were out in the open with it. They were not hiding it. And they were good at it. And that's what that means. They were good at doing evil. And then the leadership in the land was crooked. The rich men were collaborating with the leaders, and they were all in cahoots, and, they were, and and that's what it means when it says they wrap it up, they're all tied together, and they're working their plans to keep taking advantage of the little man. And I'm trying hard because I, I don't want to be accused of getting political all the time, but mercy, if this doesn't sound like the direction we're heading in America, I don't know what is. Right. <laughs> all right. So there was all all this collaboration at the top. Take advantage of those below. And then we saw in verse 4 how the best from among the bad or the least evil from among the evil, even those were still like briars. Even those were still like a thorn hedge. And they were still entangling and cutting. And and if you tried to withstand it, it would be very painful. At the end of verse 4, Micah warns they're going to reap what they sow. Because the evil workers would have perplexity, which means to be entangled, and I, I think there's probably the play on words here, because just as they entangled others, being briars and thorns, God says, now you're going to be perplexed, or you're going to be entangled, and God says that you'll be ensnared in your own net, right? And so the wicked are, are caught in their own devices, and it and it says that the day of thy watchmen, those would have been the faithful prophets, those would have been the the ones that God sent and were preaching. Uh, or, or warning them of the judgment to come. So the watchmen, those that were the good prophets, they were foretelling of the judgment to come, and it says, Thy, thy visitation, the day of thy visitation here. It, it was on the way. They had warned of this, and we find Israel in this very sad state. There was such a lack of righteousness in the land that you couldn't tell who could be trusted and who couldn't. Even among those you felt were close to you, you found out you couldn't trust them either. There was no integrity. It was to the place where if someone did something which seemed good or right, you were suspicious that they were up to something. You know that feeling? Maybe your kid, you come home and your kid is like extra nice for some reason. And you're like, wait a minute, is something up here? Why is this guy doing right? Something must be wrong. I heard this illustration. A driver was curious why he was being pulled over. the cop comes up and he asks for his license. And as he looks the license over very suspiciously, he does so for like several minutes. And he finally hands the license back to the driver and he kind of shrugs his shoulder. And the driver goes, What was the matter, officer? And the policeman said, Well, you were driving so carefully, I was certain your license was expired. Why are you doing so good? Isn't it bad when it gets to that point? He must be up to something. So when there's a lack of integrity, there's suspicion that something's up. Somebody appears to be doing right, but we know we can't really trust them. This is what was going on here in Israel. And this brings us to where we left off. Uh, look at verses 5 and 6. Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonoreth the father, and the daughter riseth up against her mother, the daughter in law against her mother in law. A man's enemies are the men of his house. So, verse 5 here begins with You can't even trust your friends. Don't trust your friends, he says. How sad. It's been said that a true friend is one that is walking in when everybody else is walking out. And that's true. You're going to be blessed in this life if you have some true, lifelong friends. The truth is, you'll probably only be able to count those on one hand. Proverbs teaches us a lot about friends. We learn that true friends are those that loveth at all times. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Someone gave this sentiment. I don't know who to give credit to. A friend will never truly be known while in prosperity. And an enemy will never truly be hid in adversity. In other words, when things are going well, you don't really know who your friends are. But just as soon as they go bad, you'll know who your enemies are. If you don't believe that, join the ministry. We can imagine that when the prodigal son left and he was spending his money on riotous living that he had friends. But one thing's for sure, when all the money was spent, he was alone in the hog pen. Proverbs 14.20 says, The poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but the rich hath many friends. Proverbs 19.4, wealth maketh many friends, but the poor is separated from his neighbor. Proverbs 19.6, every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. (laughs) True friends are a great blessing from God, amen? And I do hope you have those that are walking in when everybody else is leaving you. I thank God for those people. But those friends are only going to be those who are walking with the Lord. Job 6.14 and 15, to him that is afflicted, pity should be showed from his friend but he forsaketh the fear of the almighty my brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook and as the stream of brooks they pass away or they dry up and so in the time of affliction job here was saying you know what the problem is when we're afflicted is all your friends begin to dry up and wither away all those you thought you had are not there so be careful where you place your trust because here's the deal the best of friends will fail you at times. And you'll fail others at times. None of us are perfect. So be wise where you place your trust. And why do we fail each other as friends? It's because we're all sinners. None of us are, are completely perfect in the sense of sinless perfection. Micah goes on to say, Don't, not only not to trust in your friends, put you no confidence in a guide. The word for guide means someone more familiar than just uh, an acquaintance or a casual friend, but this actually means familiar, and it's, it, it probably means a familiar friend, Some, somebody that's so close to you that they can guide you and they can direct you, they can mentor you, they can help you, things like that. And the Bible does use the term familiar friend. We'll, we'll see that later on in this lesson, but be careful how much confidence you place in those who claim to be able to lead you. Your leaders, your advisors, your counselors, and even your pastors and teachers. You've got to be careful. Amen. Those who aren't careful, that's how we end up with cults where they all drink poison and die, dressed in sweat clothes. What was the name of that group? Remember that? Like 33 of them died. That's how that stuff happens. Be careful where you put your confidence. Micah's day here is sounding more and more like our day. Confidence in governmental leaders is at an all-time low. Our legal system is broken. The vast majority of our judges are nothing more than partisan. And this is why I hate that judges are appointed by elected officials. I think we ought to vote on some of these things. And because you got all these partisan judges that are just ruling based on who put them there. That's a fact. I'm thankful the Supreme Court cast down President Biden's mandate, the OSHA mandate. They didn't fully cast it down, but they cast down enough that it's a small victory. They cast it down with a vote of six to three. It should have been a vote of nine to nothing if they were all constitutional judges. But they're not. They still upheld the medical side of it that if a medical facility receives Medicare or Medicaid funding, you still have to get it. What a shame. Who can you trust? There's a lack of confidence in academic leaders. Currently making headlines, particularly in Virginia, was the fact that you had the school boards telling the parents, you have no right to tell us what we ought to be teaching your kids. Excuse me? Thankfully, the governor there who just got elected is trying to make some changes. But listen, our, our colleges, our universities, for the most part, are nothing more than liberal propaganda machines. Amen. Somebody can say amen and act like you're a conservative this morning. Well, are you against me if I'm a dip? No, I'm not against you, but you'll get your heart right eventually. Can we even place confidence in our pastors and teachers any longer? Can we even trust our pastors? The majority would tell you no. Why? Because they've been burned. Some cases worse, they've been abused. They've been taken advantage of, even in the church house. I'm shocked so many are still in church after what's happened to them, to be honest with you. Be careful where you place your confidence. There's an overwhelming lack of trust and confidence in America today, and it's on both sides. The liberals don't trust the conservatives, and the conservatives don't trust the liberals. And for every article one side cites, I can find another article that contradicts it. Who do you trust? Can you even trust the news agencies? There are apprehensions with federal and state agencies, law enforcement agencies, the medical establishment, the public school system. There's racial, racial tensions. There's crooked politicians. Lack of trust abounds in our society today. And so the thought is here from Micah, who can you trust? Who can you put your confidence in? Can we even look to those who lead us and say, that's who I'm going I'm to follow and I'm going to trust? Or do we look at those and go, they're eventually going to lead us astray. Now, some apply this word guide to mean husband. Not only what they would say here, if you hold that position, not only should you not trust in your friends, but don't even put your confidence in your own husband. This connection is made for two reasons. One, in Proverbs 2.17, it speaks of the woman which forsaketh the guide of her youth, and forgetteth the covenant of her God. And there are many who see that verse as referring to a woman who has left her husband because it talks about the covenant she made with God. I don't know if that's the case, but some people hold that position. And the second reason this connection is made is because of how verse 5 flows. After it mentions, um, don't put your confidence in a friend, it goes on to say, and, and the guide, it goes on to say, Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom, which is referring to the wife. And therefore, the thought by some here is speaking of the lack of confidence between a husband and a wife. I can see room for this thinking because verse 6 continues to speak about family relations and how you can't have trust in those things. When Micah says, Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy in thy bosom, he's warning to be careful of what is said to a wife because of the possibility of being betrayed. Are you getting the picture how bad it was? And, and listen, this is something that Samson learned the hard way. He couldn't keep his mouth from the, the one that he was laying in the bosom. Of course, he should have never been with her. She was a harlot, Samson and Delilah. But nonetheless, the, the principle still there. And then the context of marriage here, we can't even place our confidence in those who we have entered into a covenant before God. You can't even put your confidence in your husband or your wife. Is Everybody with me? How many of you who are married have had perfect marriages without any arguments? Any disagreements? Any disappointments? None of us. Even your spouse will disappoint you at times. Even our spouses will disappoint us at times because we're all sinners. We didn't marry a perfect spouse. And sadly, you can't always put your confidence in your spouse because spouses hurt each other. Sometimes they walk out on each other. I think it's safe to say we all know somebody who's divorced that has gone through that painful experience. Sometimes it happens, and it's heartbreaking because we know God's desire would be for people to stay together, because God wants marriage to be a picture of Christ in the church. But there's some painful things that happen. Verse six, more family issues. The son dishonoreth the father, the daughter riseth up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemy are the men's of his own house. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. And we see right away here a violation of one of the Ten Commandments. The son is dishonoring his father. The daughter is rising up against her mother. Exodus twenty twelve: Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. God was really serious about this matter. So serious that if you cursed your mother and father, or if you hit your mother and father... God said, you need to be killed. You need to be put to death. You think God was serious about honoring mom and dad? Proverbs 20.20 says, Their lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Despite those warnings. That's exactly what was taking place in Micah's day, and we see it today too. Sons dishonoring their, their fathers. Daughters rising up against their mothers. There's, there's war between parents and children. They become each other's enemy. And we see that even women who are supposed to be more tender and more affectionate are rising up against each other. Children are to respect and honor those who nurse them. Children should honor and respect those who brought them up and fed them and clothed them and gave them life and helped them along. Somebody say amen. Listen, don't you ever allow your children to disrespect you. Ever. Do you hear me? I'm giving you some good advice this morning for those that are parenting. Listen, you don't have to meet that disrespect with the same discipline every time, but you better meet it. You better make sure that they don't mouth off to you. Don't you allow rude children, rude behavior from your children towards you. Don't put up with that. Never allow ingratitude, back backtalk, huffing and puffing, mumbling under their breath, or unreasonable criticisms. Don't allow it. There needs to be reverence in the home. And I'm telling you, this is what I do for a living now, and I'm telling you from experience, you better get it under control. Or else in ten years you'll be in my office wondering why your kid's running like a rebel. Don't put up with it. Don't allow contempt and ridicule and chiding and ill words and disobedience. If you say to do something, they do it. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Listen, I'm telling you how it is. And and, and why do we get get irreverence from our children? Because foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. That's what Proverbs says. But it also says, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. I guess I'm the last old school guy left. But I'll I'll tell you, your home should be under control. Your children should never run your home. I'll leave it there. So understandably, Micah goes on to mention how the daughter-in-law would rise up against her mother-in-law. We can all understand that, amen? In-laws. Okay, I'm just kidding about it being understandable, but we should even get along with our in-laws. I'm thankful that I think I have a pretty good relationship with my in-laws. I don't know. I mean, sometimes, I, yeah, I fake it till I make it sometimes, but, you know, it's in-laws. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, I got a chuckle out of John Gill's comment here on his note on the in-laws because he was born in 1697. And he wrote this, this is not so much to be wondered at as the former instances. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you read the rest of his comment, he's, what he's really saying is this. I took it out of context, but if you read it all, he says, if the birth children are going to rise up against their biological parents, then why wouldn't the in-laws rise up? They're seeing it from a son to a father. Why wouldn't the daughter-in-law rise up against her mother-in-law? If there's no respect from the son, then why do I have to respect the mother-in-law? You see what I'm saying? And, and I think that fits here. Now, how many of you have perfect families? Perfectly obedient children. How many of you have ever been to that dysfunctional family get-together? Where you have that crazy uncle or that... You know, you got this one guy who can't help but talk about politics and this guy who's on the other side can't help but talk about politics and it's fire or religion comes up. What are you doing as a Baptist? Mm-hmm. You were baptized as a child. Mm-hmm. What, are you saying that the way we raised you wasn't good enough? Yeah. <laughs> Did your church make you? Are you brainwashed? Yeah. They're Baptists, but they're those strict Baptists. What does that mean? Yeah, she said they're the strict Baptists, the ones that read their Bibles. Hey, man! Now, how many of you have perfect families? You know why we don't? Because we're all sinners. You see where I'm going with this? We're all sinners. Believe it or not, parents, you gave birth to little sinners. Verse 6 closes out with Micah famously concluding, A man's enemies are the men of his own house. This has been proven true more often than not. And it is often due to religion and politics. The military always says there's two things you can't talk about, religion and politics. And what's the two most commonly talked about things? Religion and politics. They can say it all they want, it still happens. Now I think this is true that the enemies are from within because... The ones that we are more close to, it hurts more. When there's disagreements, when there's dysfunction, when there's all those things, I think it's because when we get stabbed in the back by those closest to us, it really takes its toll. Because somebody who's not that close to us, they can say things, do things, and we can just kind of let it roll off our back, not a big deal. Well, that guy's whack. When it's our family, especially those within our immediate family, you can imagine how hard it is to deal with. And so we find this sad state of affairs in Micah's day. And in many ways, we're already there. No trust. No confidence in friends and guides and spouses and children. Matthew Henry wrote, The contempt and violation of the laws of domestic duties are a sad symptom of a universal corruption of manners. What is he saying there? We're all sinners. That's basically what he's saying. We're all corrupted. David knew what it was like to have what he thought were friends when things were stable in his kingdom. But just as soon as the the kingdom kind of got ruckus a little bit, now all of a sudden those who he thought were close were actually his enemies. You'll remember that Absalom, his son, led a rebellion against David. And in so doing, Absalom, he goes to Ahithophel who was David's counselor, the Bible says, and and he got him to be a co-conspirator with Absalom. And then David would write in Psalm 41, 9, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread hath lifted up his heel against me. David learned that some who he thought were his friends were really his enemies. And for those who may not know, Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba, you think he had some motivation to get back at David? He had to watch as his daughter, uh, his granddaughter's husband, was killed in battle, and David took her in an illicit relationship. Their child died, and I don't think Ahithophel ever got over it. We're all sinners. I'm building up to the main point here. I, I hope you're catching this. But Ahithophel's revolt against David it led it led to this deep hurt that David dealt with. In Psalm 55, 12 through 14, he says, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. And I know all too well that feeling how badly it hurts when those who we thought were our friends, our guides, they reproach us and they walk out on us and they become our enemies. And, and it really hurts when it's from within the church, those within the household of faith. And, and just mentioning it starts to make my stomach hurt again. And I'll tell you, listen, the ministry is not for those faint of heart. Because you, you just invest yourself, invest yourself, invest yourself, and then you better be prepared for them to walk out. But here's what I take comfort in. My Lord knows exactly what that feels like. He was betrayed by those close to Him because those two passages I read you from David and from Psalms, they apply to Judas Iscariot when he betrayed Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. We have a high priest that knows exactly what we're going through. And, and listen, Jesus warned all of this would happen uh, to his disciples in their day. Matthew 10.21, And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and cause them to be put to death. Luke twenty-one six, same verse, but Luke's version. And ye shall be betrayed by both parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends. And some of you they, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. Jesus even quoted Micah's passage here that we're studying today. Jesus said, "Look, I didn't bring to, I didn't come to earth to bring peace." He said in Matthew 10.34, I came not to send peace, but a sword. And then he goes on to quote Micah. Matthew 10.35 and 36, For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Christ divides. He is a dividing point. Christ divides families. I've I've got some family members that if it wasn't for the issue of Christ, we would get along just fine. You know what I'm saying? But because we don't see eye to eye on Christ, it causes tension. Because Christ said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And children are going to rise up their parents and vice versa, and in-laws and all the rest, and brother to brother, because that's what Christ, when you make a decision on Christ, you'll find out. So listen, let me try to wrap this up. When, when it gets to this point, who can you trust? If you can't trust friends, who can you trust? If you can't place your confidence in your guides or your spouse or your children, then who can we have confidence in? And when you don't know who you can trust, who can you confide in? Who can you turn to for help when everyone else is selfish? Who can you look to for justice and wrongdoings? Well, we're not going to have time to get into it, but the answer is in verse 7. Therefore. This is so good. Amen? You can't trust your friends. You can't trust your guides. You can't trust your spouse. You can't trust your children. You can't trust your in-laws. Micah says, therefore. And I don't think Micah's being bitter here. I don't think he's writing this with any kind of anger. I think he's just saying, look... It's gotten to the point where you can't put your confidence in men. You can't do that. And Micah says, look, I want to show you. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. What a blessed verse. Ultimately, our trust and our confidence are only to be found in the Lord God. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He will never disappoint you. He will never leave you. A spouse may walk out. A child may shake their fist at their parents and, and such bitter words be said that for 20, 30 years there's no relationship. But there's one. One. There is one that we all can look to that can be our confidence and that can be our trust, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 27.10, When my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Isaiah 49.15, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet I will never forget. Just watched a video the other day of the woman. I can't remember if it was in New Mexico or where, but she pulled up to a garbage can, had a black plastic bag and cast it in the dumpster. And inside they found a newborn child still with the umbilical cord attached. By the grace of God, he lived. Can a mother forsake her sucking child? Yes. Can parents forsake their children? Yes. But there's one. Our Heavenly Father... That we can always look to. He will feed us. He will carry us in His arms. He gently leads us along. We never have to fear being betrayed by our Lord and Savior. And I would tell you this morning, look unto Him. I thank God for godly friends, good guides and mentors and helpers and godly spouses and family members. But you never put your whole trust in them. Don't ever put your total confidence in people. Because the best of us are still sinners. If we were to flip around Him talking about the the best of the evil, if we were to take the best of the best, we still fall short of the glory of God. Psalm 118, 8 and 9, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. He's the answer. amen? Amen? Keep your eyes on Him. Trust Him at all times. Keep your confidence in the Lord. Let's pray.